0: Good morning. My name's Gordon, for those of you who don't know me. If there's anything that comes out of the next 20 minutes you want to talk about or ask questions or query, then feel free to come and see me afterwards. Any complaints, of course, take them to Mark. Um, We're doing a mini-series at the moment. I think this is the second week um, on the spirit, and we're looking today at the spirit of possibility. Um, And, of course, this passage is all about Possibility. Our world is going through virtually unprecedented times of change at the moment, isn't it? Richard prayer, Richard's prayers um, well told that. My son and I like to watch the news together. He often comes in and asks me what's happening in the world at the moment. A few weeks ago, um, he used to come in uh, quite regularly and say, Daddy, what's happening in Libya right at the moment? He wanted to know. At 10, he recognizes that the world is bigger than him. There are powerful forces at work in it. Um, But he would see himself simply as an observer in it. Unfortunately, the older that he gets, the less often now he asks, Daddy, what can we do about it? I'm sure we've all asked that question as we consider the scale of the problems around us. But what are the possibilities for our world? What do we want it to be like for our children when they grow up? Uh, Can our world ever be a uh, safer, fairer, more sustainable place? (coughs) The financial crisis has affected almost every corner of our globe. There was even recently discussion about uh, downgrading the US dollar. It's not going to happen, but the discussion of it was amazing. According to the Daily Telegraph last week, the International Monetary Fund has cut its forecast for US economic growth, warning Washington Washington and debt-ridden European countries that they are playing with fire unless they take immediate steps to reduce the budget deficits. UK national debt stands at around one trillion dollars, sorry, pounds. That's 15,000 pounds that every one of us owes. 30,000 if you only count those that earn money. There's accelerating climate change. Uh, The lack of any real progress since Kyoto means that billions of people um, are facing a largely uncertain future um, of increased famine, increased poverty, increased flooding. And you know there's 20% more water flowing into our world's oceans than there was just 10 years ago, causing flooding and washing topsoils away. There's increasing conflict in some of the most fragile parts of the world, as we heard. According to the World Bank's uh, 2011 report, more than 1.5 billion people now live in countries um, affected by violent conflict. And energy prices are rising. Can you believe in 2007, a litre of unleaded fuel costs 50 pence? It's now, what, almost one pound 40? tried to fill up the car at the fuel station recently, and it stopped, not when the tank got, fu- got full, but when the pump got to £99 and wouldn't do any more. 13 million people live below the poverty line in this country alone. That's one in five people in our own country living below the poverty line. The number of emergency food parcels handed out by the food bank more than doubled in the past two years. Our world is in crisis. And it's very possible to feel downhearted when we look at the world today. It doesn't seem like anyone has the answers, least least alone our leaders, who are the very ones that we expect to have those answers. Change you can believe in seems as dead and distant, as things can only get better remember those words not often quoted now funnily enough but don't we want to see our world flourish as God intended it don't we want to see peace don't we want to see people raised out of conflict raised out of poverty, life saved see communities changed and see hope restored where is that possibility and whose hands is that really in who even believe in the possibility of change in our world anymore. Fortunately, what seems possible and what is possible are often very different things. Mary was a young girl, probably in her mid-teens. She lived in an occupied country of Israel under the threat of Roman soldiers. There was conflict in the country's leadership. Pilate and Herod were not the best of friends, certainly not at that time. There was division in their religious leadership. There was constant threat of full-scale invasion. Just 70 years later, uh, the Roman soldiers raised the temple to the ground, dispersed the Jewish people for the next 2,000 years. So the economic, political, and social prognosis for Israel was not good either. It's not surprising then that the people were looking for a leader. But not just any leader. They were looking for the God-promised leader, the one who would save his people and usher in a new era. In Isaiah 61, it says this of what this new leader would do. He would come to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives, release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated, renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And so it goes on. No easy task. The expectations on this Messiah were huge. Uh, Too good to be true almost if it wasn't for the fact that this was God's promised Messiah. This wasn't another political leader. And the writings of other Old Testament prophets were full of the promises of future hope, of this Messiah coming to rescue his people, to sort out the world, and make everything better forever. And yet the problem was that in the past 400 years, God had gone silent. The doors of heaven were seemingly shut. The lights were out. No one was home. It looked like God had abandoned them. And I'd be surprised if there wasn't anyone in this room who couldn't honestly say that at some time, probably many times, perhaps even today, God seems silent. Heaven seems quiet. Do you ever pray and feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceilings? Do you ever tire of your own praying voice being only half of the conversation and sure there's supposed to be somebody on the other end of it? We're told to be patient and listen to God. But listening is hard. I know I'm a man. C.S. Lewis said this, When you're happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, if you yourself remember and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. Then you go through that dilemma, don't you? Does this silence mean that you should wait patiently for him? Or does it mean that he's waiting patiently for you? Which way is it? Does anyone else have that dilemma sometimes? Am I waiting for God or is he waiting for me? Which way does it go? 400 years of waiting, and yet God's promises remained. Specific, guaranteed, and underwritten by his very self. In Numbers, God gave these words to Balaam the prophet. God is not a human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God's promises to bring a Messiah who would restore Israel were as real that day that the angel visited as they were hundreds of years before when the prophet spoke to them. His word does not return to him void. So let's put ourselves in in Mary's sandals that day when the angel arrived. Shows up on the doorstep of this young Jewish girl's house and announces that she's going to give birth to this Messiah. See, we, we read this story with hindsight. We, we see that image of Mary um, sitting there with the baby, with the, the halo, the, the light shining down. Everything's great. The promise is great. We know the story. We know how it's going to work out. It's all good news. It's a great story. Of course, for Mary, it was very different. She didn't know what the future held. She was still living with everybody else in that midst of chaos and despair. Her perspective was very different. On top of that, she was about to find herself unmarried and pregnant. Theoretically an inch from being stoned for adultery. And she reacted just like any other human would. She was totally shaken. Her world was turned upside down. Not only was this not probable in Mary's mind that the savior of the world would come through her, but to her it was not possible. You don't become pregnant without certain things happening. It just can't be. Yet, sure enough, it did. Nine months later, or thereabouts, the Messiah was born. God had not forgotten his promises. In fact, he fulfilled every one of them in detail. With the coming of Jesus, it was like there was this explosion of prophecies coming true. It was like God was bursting to fulfill his word. He'd been silent for a reason. It it was the lull It was the pregnant pause in expectation of his perfect yet mysterious timing. You see, God's silence never indicates God's absence. So what are the promises God's spoken to you? Have you ever felt God calling you, but he's never opened the way? Has there been a prophetic word spoken over you at some point, and now it just feels like a big embarrassing mistake, to be honest? The reality is God's words never return to him void. God knows very well what he's promised you. I think the most depressing period of all of history for a follower of God was those 400 years. Can you imagine it? Generation after generation being born, living, dying, and yet still no sign of the Messiah. The nation was all but destroyed. The messengers had come and gone hundreds of years before. They were relegated to the history books now. An invading Gentile force was occupying holy ground. It must have been the hardest thing to retain hope. But God's canvas was bigger than anyone could imagine. And Mary lived in the midst of that. She was born in that environment. Yet she found favor. She found favor with her God. And God implanted within her a possibility that blew her mind and ushered in the second half of history. Verse 35 says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Why did it come upon her? It seems like God was looking for someone favorable to work in. He obviously chose Mary for a reason. It said that she'd found favor with God. And we don't know how Mary lived her life. We we know next to nothing about Mary. But the one thing that's recorded is that she found favor with God. And for her, the reward was, was something unique. The pain, the suffering, the questions, the distress was all to be resolved through the child of this young woman coming into the world. Certainly not in the way that was expected or perhaps even wanted But in exact alignment with God's plan, the possibility was going to come about. But the thing that was most important about the story of Mary was that it wasn't her effort that changed the world. It wasn't her ministry. It wasn't her influence. It wasn't even her gifts or what she did. It was her. The possibilities, to go back to the title of this talk today, came through her desire To be right by God. And God does not ask us to change the world. He's not looking for you to resolve the world's conflicts. He doesn't want you to convert everyone. He doesn't want you to restore the planet. He just wants us to be available so that he can change the world through us. He doesn't need our gifts. He doesn't need our clever ideas or our creative genius. He will use them. But what he wants is us. On Wednesday, I was listening to um, the leader of a team from a particular country talking. A team who recently saw several of its key staff killed um, while serving. If I told you which country it was, you would you would recall it. I'm sure it was in the news. He spoke about how what we do is not ours to own; it's God's. It's not ours to hold on to or to complete. That's God's responsibility what we need to do is to be available to his possibilities of what he might do through us. That might mean it costs us, maybe even our lives, without ever seeing the results. See, I think when we demand to see the results, we're saying to God, I'll do that if I can see the success. But truly giving ourselves to God to allow him to do his thing is about letting go of the ownership of where that might lead. For Mary, things didn't end up as she would have imagined it. The angel promised that he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I imagine for Mary, it all felt rather different when she stood on that hill and looked up at the cross with her son dying on it. When we think it's all about us, if we worry that we're not doing enough, doing it right, then we limit what God can do through us. But the angel's were to Mary were this. Do not fear. Do not fear that you're not in control. Do not fear that you don't know how it's going to pan out. Do not fear that you don't know how to get from A to Z. Fear paralyzes, and it's a, a tool of the devil's to make us think that we can't do it, and therefore we don't do it. Something I struggle with a lot, not wanting to do something because I feel I can't. And when we miss the opportunity to talk about God, turn down an opportunity to serve, then the possibilities never become realities. But when we let go of how God's plan should work according to us, of how we think it should be, then the possibilities are back in God's hands and not in ours. So Mary didn't see the whole story. But God's plan extended beyond her involvement. She was only the beginning. She was only part of the plan. And only in eternity will we see what the results were of this Messiah coming into the world. Lives changed. Some of those will be things that you and I have played a part in. Maybe the beginning of that story in somebody's life. Maybe the middle, maybe just a cameo role. Maybe the end. Or maybe not. We don't know. We won't know till eternity, and then maybe it will matter. The story of our world seems depressing, and certainly it's the bad news that always grabs the headlines every time we turn on the news. But there's also good news. Infant mortality rates around the world are dropping steeply. There's real hope for medicines uh, that could uh, resolve the problem of HIV-AIDS. There's continued impact of the local church around the world in the hardest-hit communities. Our church is linked, supporting many individuals and communities across the world. And the church globally continues to grow. The church in Afghanistan is growing faster than the church um, in most European countries. And in many of them, it's actually declining. Perhaps we think there's nothing we can do. But what we learn from Mary is that with invisible beginnings come the possibilities of what God can do, of how he can change the world. So what else might we add to that list? The life changed by the influence that you have? The community restored? The life saved by the purchase of mosquito net that you funded? Peace in a country through your prayers? You will never know. But what you can do, what you can be certain of, is that God never leaves us without hope. As long as we have the Spirit of God in us, we can change the world around us. Mary was only known for finding favor with God. That's all it really tells us about her. But out of good character comes good deeds. And Mary must have been someone whose actions spoke loudly of her love for God. I think we can be confident that she acted fairly to others, that she cared for those in need, that she lived a life uh, that was honoring of God. Or in the words of Micah, She acted justly, she loved mercy, and she walked humbly with her God. Someone famously said, the only only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. And that's true. The possibilities we we want to see in our lives, in our children's lives, in our communities here and in the world around us will only come when people act. The world will not sort itself out. We must not act out of guilt or, or competition, but out of our desire for those we know and those we don't know for our world. So what does that look like? Uh, it might be reaching out to your neighbors. Members of this church, if you read Facebook yesterday, were having a breakfast yesterday morning for 20 of their neighbors. It might be that. It might be helping in the community. You work in the school. Be some Cap, Choices, Soup Kitchen. Maybe be using your gifts here in this church to help the work of the church and the things that we do in the community. maybe might be engaging with communities in other parts of the world, working directly with the Maasai in Kenya. If you're interested in that, come and talk to me. Giving money um, or support through organizations like Toy Box or Tear Fund, Praying for some of our church members directly working in the poor uh, communities in Asia, Latin America, India, Africa. The question is, where are you passionate about? Where do you want to see the world changed? What is it that you're going to do and what's your part in it? You may feel like it's been 400 years since God promised you something. Since you last heard him speak. The thing is, God's promises are real. They're as real for you as they were for Mary. They're as real for our world as they were for Israel. They are deliberate and they will never return to him void. If you're waiting on God, perhaps God's waiting on you. Perhaps God's waiting on you to step out, acknowledging that he will be in the possibilities, that you can trust him. Maybe not in the way that you imagine it, but better than that, in the way that God imagines it. And those are the possibilities that we want to see. Not what we can create or imagine, but what God can. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. <clears throat> After I pray, um, John's going to start leading us in worship. And if there's anything this morning that, that you just think, actually, that'd be great. I'd love to come forward and get prayer for. If, if you feel that you know, there's been promises in your life that God has made in some way and you've not heard the answers or you're waiting for that, if God seems silent that you're tired of your own voice and you're not hearing God speak, then come forward for prayer. Let people around you pray with you and talk into that situation. Or if you just don't know what the next step is, how to move forward, come and let somebody pray for you. there would be people at the front here and we'd love to pray with you. God, you are faithful to your word. <clears throat> would you now speak to each one of us, Lord? Would you confirm your promises to us that you've made? Would you give us more of your Spirit that we might live out the possibilities that you've put in us? Would you help us, Lord, to put aside our own expectations of how that should look and live in the possibilities of what can happen when your Spirit works through us? Thank you, God, that you love us. Thank you that you care about us. And thank you that you're passionate about us and want us to use us in your world. And Lord, we give ourselves over to you. In Jesus' name, amen.